Yeah, Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. We're going to be, we're going to be, you know, I, I, I forewarned most of you, for those of you that were here last week, I forewarned you, we're going through a prophet, which means it's going to be a little different from like the really froofy New Testament stuff you're used to reading, you know, um, God's very blunt, very, very, very blunt in, uh, with the prophets because Israel just, just things couldn't, there was no Holy Spirit to interpret for them, right? So he just had to just say it, man, just say it directly, right? And so uh, we're going to be going through Malachi chapter 2, and so tonight we're going to be talking about leadership. Leadership. And so we're going to be talking about leaders and how to treat leaders, right? Okay, so it's going to be a sensitive subject for some of us because not all of us like leaders, right? Not all, a lot of us like to be led, and then some of us think we're leaders, so no one else can lead us, right? And so we're going to be we're going to be talking about that tonight, and so it's going to be it's going to be good. And I am for those of you, uh, this isn't a normal thing. Um, don't stone me, uh, but we are going to be going through the ESV tonight, just because I believe it uses. This is the only time we're doing it. Okay, uh, we're going to be going through the ESV tonight, just because I think the language it uses is a little more. Uh, straightforward, and you'll see exactly what I mean in a couple minutes. So Malachi chapter 2, verse 1, I'll have it up here for you. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings indeed. I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. So we're going to stop right there, and we're going to pray. Jesus, we love you. We understand that you are a loving God. You are a good God. You're a God that desires for us holiness and relationship. Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts tonight to some blunt words that you have to say to us, God, and that we would not shy away from your correction. Rather, we would embrace it because we know that you correct those you love. You discipline those you care for. And so, Lord, I pray as your children, we would just accept your correction tonight. Lord, I pray that we be encouraged, Lord, by your word tonight, knowing that no matter whether there's bad leaders in our lives, whether there's good leaders in our lives, Lord, that we look to you, the author and finisher of our faith, looking to you, the ultimate leader, the ultimate senior pastor, the ultimate high priest. God, we, we, we look to you and we are encouraged that you lead us with such love and power and meekness. Lord, help us to emulate you tonight. God, may we mirror your love for us towards you. We love you. We praise you. We give you this night. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 And so Malachi chapter 2, it starts out like this. God, you see, last, last week, God was speaking to the people of Israel. And he was kind of, he was referencing the sacrifices that Israel was making. So Israel, they were making these sacrifices, but they weren't really sacrifices. Does that make sense? We, we learned last week that they would, they would present these things to the altar of the Lord, but instead of giving the first fruits of their labor, instead of giving them their hearts, instead of giving them what God truly desired, they kind of give them the sloppy seconds, the leftovers, right? And God's saying, if you're going to give me your, your leftovers, don't give me anything at all. And we learned that God said, hey, you call me father. You call me Lord. You call me king. But you don't treat me that way, right? And, and so God was basically calling out the people of Israel saying, when, when, you call me father. Stop calling me dad if you're not going to treat me like your dad. Stop calling me your king if you're not going to treat me like your king, right? And so we learned that, that we, we need to accept this love that Christ has given us. And when we accept this love, we recognize him when we start to call him these things. We start to call him father. We start to call him Lord. We start to call him king. And we sing it in corporate worship and we sing these things. And God's saying, please, I have poured out so much love to you. Reciprocate by at least meaning what you say, right? At least being honest with me and what you, and what you call me. If you call me father, treat me as a father. If you call me king, treat me as a king. If you call me Lord, treat me as your Lord, right? 
And so that's what God went through last week in Malachi chapter 1. And now he says, and now, O priest, this command is for you, right? Now, O priest. Now, the priests were the leaders of that time, right? The priests were the spiritual leaders of that time, descended from the tribe of Levi. We are going to be speaking a lot about leadership, what a godly leader looks like, what to expect from your leaders, and how Jesus is ultimately the one we ought to draw our hope from in leadership. And there is a a temptation to be like, okay, this is for the church leaders, right? There's this temptation to kind of check out or kind of make it, oh yeah, this is for them, right? The priests, I'm not a priest, therefore this is for them. I can appreciate the passage, I can appreciate the points that are going to be spoken, but ultimately it's for those in leadership, right? Not quite, because in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter says this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so we, we need to understand this. When Jesus, when, when God is speaking to the priests in Malachi, In some way, shape, or form, he's speaking to all of us as a holy priesthood, those who have been redeemed by Jesus. He's speaking to us as a priesthood, a holy nation, one that is set apart. Now, the priests were those who represented all of the people. We all represent some sort of demographic in some way, shape, or form. Now, we're going to learn that not everyone's a leader. Does that make sense? Not everyone's a leader, but everyone's a priest. Can we, can we get that in our heads? We're going to be talking a lot about leadership because the priests, they were, they were the leaders of that time. But we are not all of us are leaders, but a lot, all of us are priests. All of us are to be ministering in the way these priests ministered, bringing God to the people and the people to God. That makes sense? And so as we see here, it says, if you will not listen... And you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. Then I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. So they were giving no honor to God's name. That that was kind of what was wrong with the leader. We're going to first be going, what was wrong with these leaders back then? All right, what, what, what beef did God have with these priests? Why is he getting a little worked up over what these priests were doing at the time? We see the first thing is that they would not listen. And, and more so than not listening, they were not taking to heart the things that God was telling them. They, they would not take to heart because here's the thing. You can hear words from God. It's a different thing entirely to listen to them, Right? There's a clear difference between hearing and listening, right? We, we learn this in school. We, we, we know this, guys. There's a difference, a clear difference between the words I say and you guys hearing them and actually like physically hearing them and then you guys listening to them and taking them to heart, right? Clear, clear differences. They were not taking the ministry of God seriously. And when you don't take God seriously... When you don't take the ministry he has given you, the holy priesthood he has given you, because he has entrusted people near you that you are to disciple. When you don't take these things seriously, what ends up happening is then the words that he speaks don't apply to you in your head. So you can appreciate the things that God says, and you can be like, oh, that's nice. But unless you take the calling that God's given you seriously, you're not going to listen to the words that are spoken. Right? You're not going to listen to the correction that is given to you. Right? So some people who are all about them and their ministry is all about them, when they're given correction, they don't listen. Right? Because it's not about taking God seriously. Does that make sense? And then we see here in verse 3, and God gets a little, this is why I chose the ESV, by the way, because I'm an immature infant. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces. Poop, for those of you who don't know what dung means. The dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. So the priest, 
they were offering these things to the temple on behalf of all of Israel. That was the priest's job. They were supposed to take offerings to the temple and they were to make sacrifices to atone for the sins of all of Israel. Does that make sense? So, so there, what was on their shoulders, the ministry, the people that they oversaw, the spiritual health of all of Israel was contingent on the faithfulness of these priests. And God is saying, you aren't taking it seriously. I liken your efforts to poop. God said that. And not only did he say that, but he says, and I will spread this poop all over your face. You're allowed to laugh because I think God thought it was pretty funny too. And, and so all the other translations, they try to proof it up by calling it other stuff, like excretion. You know, like, I'm like, no, it's poop, all right? If there was a translation that said poop, I would have used that. But dung is the closest we got, okay? God says, I liken, you guys are not taking this seriously at all. Therefore, I'm not going to take it seriously, So if you're not going to take me seriously, if you're not going to take the ministry that I have entrusted to you seriously, I'm not going to take the offerings you give me seriously. You give me poop, I give you poop. That's what God's saying. You give me poop, I give you poop. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. Guys, they showed a disregard, not only for God, but for the people. And I think this is where God, that was kind of the last straw. Because in in, in chapter one, he says, listen, you're not taking me seriously. But as we see in chapter two, now they're not taking the people seriously. And as we see in the character of Christ in the New Testament and all of the gospels, Jesus, our Lord, our God, is a shepherd. And here's the thing. He allowed himself to be beaten. He allowed himself to be beaten, to be scarred, to be marred. But he says, you don't dare, don't don't you dare touch my sheep. And, and, And so, and so when God's saying, all right, so it's one thing to not take me seriously, but to take the spiritual health of the, my people, my children, Israel, to not take their lives seriously, I find just as bad of an offense, right? And so tonight we're going to be learning just about that relationship like between ministering and our relationship to God and ministering in our relationship to people, right? And how that balance is found in, in, this, in this middle ground with leadership, right? Because here's the thing, spiritually, biblically, on every angle, in the Bible, there is, this, there is this connection that leaders have to the Lord and this accountability they have to the Lord. And, and so we, I'll give you an example. Why is God so harsh here? Why, why is God liking their, their work to put? Why is he using such harsh language with these priests? Because we see in other chapters, God is way more harsh to these priests than he is to all of Israel. He is far more harsh to them. And that is because, guys, whether you like it or not, God holds leaders, spiritual leaders, he holds them to a higher standard than everyone else. In Hebrews chapter 13, 17, it says, Obey those who rule over you. When he's speaking about spiritual authority in the church, he says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Now, so some people really trip out at this verse in Hebrews chapter 13. They're like, What? Submit to authority? You know, they're like, I don't need no man, man. You know, they, they just, they don't, they don't want to submit to any authority. I don't even look at that. I look at the second part where it says, for they are taking watch over your souls as those who must give account. Do you know what that means? Every person on Sunday nights, Mark and I are going to go to heaven one day and God is going to lay all of you before us and he's going to make us give an account for you. 
for those that are in leadership, God holds to a much higher standard and he judges them harshly. And James chapter three, he says this, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So, so, you know, a lot, a lot of people come up to me and they're like, Zach, you know, how, how do I get on that pulpit? I've had, I've had a few people like, you know, what, what do you do to become a teacher? I'm like, bro, James chapter three, verse one. First of all, you get on this pulpit God automatically holds you to a stricter judgment than everyone else, right? And so we need to realize one thing about leaders. This is why God uses very harsh language in Malachi chapter two. It's because the leaders, God holds to a much higher standard. And we as a a congregation, because, hey, listen, I have people over me. Those people have people over them. We are all in submission to someone. And in some regards, we are all having people, we are all leading somebody else. Does that make sense? Right? But as far as the church goes, right, the leaders are, they receive a much stricter judgment. So, how did the leaders here in Malachi fall so hard? How did they fall towards the point where God compares their work to poopy? How? How did they get this far? We see in verse four here, so shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. So God when he's correcting the leaders in Malachi chapter two, when he's correcting these priests of Israel, he's going back all the way back to when he first established the priesthood in Leviticus. He took the the tribe of Levi, right? The tribe of Levi, and he made them priests, right? Leviticus, Levi, Leviticus, Levi, Leviticus, yes, you're welcome. And God, so God took the tribe of Levi in, 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 in Leviticus and he established this priesthood. That's where you see the bloody sacrifices, the bloody sacrifices, the bloody sacrifices, right? All meant to point towards what? Jesus, the sacrifice that Jesus would make on the cross. Mark and I have done like four different series on that. I hope you know that by now, right? <laughs> the Old Testament is about, yeah, cool, all right. We'll go up to heaven, give an account, but they know right? Like that's, <laughs> we did this, this, and this, but at least they know that. And so God says here that the promises that he made with Levi, so he made these promises with Levi in the beginning when he was establishing the priesthood. He said that it was an establishment. It was a covenant and a covenant guys, for those of you who don't know what covenant is covenant, like marriage, right? When you think of covenant, think marriage, it's an agreement. It's an agreement to pour into one another. And it's a non-conditional agreement. It's meaning I am loving you unconditionally. You are loving me unconditionally. It is a covenant. It is a promise. And God made a covenant with Levi of love, life, peace, fear, and awe. He established this. So the priests, they were to be marked. The leaders, they were to be marked by four things. They were to be marked by life. The leaders were supposed to be and to experience life with God. The first and foremost call of a leader and the first and foremost call of a Christian, they were called to experience a life with God. There was supposed to be this walking relationship between the Levites, the priests and God. The, the priests, they had this special connection with God that other people did not because they were going to be representing and interceding on behalf of these people, right? So, so the, the covenant that God made with them was a covenant of life saying, walk with me, do life with me, right? Walk with me. It was also a covenant of peace, God declares, They were the ones that were supposed to take the people who were separated from God and bring them into his presence. So the Israel would accumulate sins. They would then bring the sacrifices to God, get on their knees and intercede on behalf of the people. And so in this, the Levites, the priests, their job as leaders was to bring peace. 
It was a covenant of peace, not only between God and man, but man and God. So they were supposed to bring God to the people and the people to God. This was peace. They were supposed to make peace between them too. It was also, guys, it was a covenant. These leaders, these priests were supposed to be in a covenant of fear. Fear. They were to understand that God would hold those who lead to a higher standard. We see this in Leviticus when a few of the Levites would make mistakes and God would kill them. Harsh, right? But God wanted to display this. I hold those who hold others in very strict judgment. Very strict judgment. And it's not to be taken lightly. And so this covenant was a covenant of fear. Not in covenant, oh my gosh, God's going to kill me. Not that type of fear. But God is powerful. God is all-knowing. God is omniscient. I cannot hide anything from him. Therefore, I'm going to submit to him because he is holy and he is good, but he is just. Right? So there's this fear that the priests would have towards God. This was the covenant that God made with Levi, the tribe of Levi, who were to be the priests. And then God also says that he was in awe of my name. Aaron was in awe of me. Leaders, though they are held to a stricter judgment, will also experience a special type of intimacy with God that should cause awe in them. And so we learned last week, do you enjoy God? That was the biggest thing because a worshipful heart is a heart that enjoys God. You praise that which you enjoy, yeah? You praise that which you enjoy. I like good books, so when I read a good book, I tell everybody about it, right? And, and, and so as I enjoyed that book, I praised that book, right? You enjoy good food. You're going to tell people about the place where you get that good food. We praise that which we enjoy. We are in awe of that which is greater than us. Like if you've been to Doghouse on Moore Park, that is greater than I. I, I am in awe of that place. They take hot dogs and like... Hawaiian bread, and it's, oh, it's so good. I'm in awe. Thank you, Jesus, for doghouse. So, so it was a covenant of awe. It was a covenant of awe. So now, now, guys, as we go into more leadership qualities, when a leader forgets these four traits... When a leader forgets the life he's supposed to live with God, the peace he's supposed to bring between God and man, when he forgets to fear the Lord, and when he stops enjoying God and stop being in awe of God, we see a leader will fall, as these priests did. He'll fall. Guys, the statistic for those pastors and leaders in the church that fall to sexual temptation in their marriage is so staggering. The amount of leaders, I read this statistic, the average, guys, the average span of a youth pastor, my current vocation, a youth pastor is two years. And that's not two years, then they become a senior pastor, or two years, then they go to another, that's two years, and then they quit altogether. Right? So, so, so the type, the, if we... Stop living a life with God. Stop having peace. And we stop fearing the Lord. And we stop enjoying God. This is when leaders fall. What should you expect then from your leaders? We're going to go through Malachi. And we're going to be going through a lot of other passages in Scripture. And what you ought to expect from your leaders and how you should interact with your leaders. Because here's the thing, even if you're not a leader in the church, you need to understand what proper leadership is and what biblical leadership is. So forget about the seminars that you attended at college, okay? We're looking at biblical leadership, right? 
We're looking at the standard that God holds leaders to, biblically, what they are supposed to be. And in doing this, whether you're a church leader or not, you will understand how to not only encourage your leaders and how to build up your leaders, but how you ought to conduct yourself as a leader over your own ministry or as a follower in a ministry that somebody else leads. This is super important for us to understand as Christians and how the church interacts together. Amen? And so we see here in verse 6, it says, True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found in his lips. He's speaking of Aaron in the original, um, the original priest that was established. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. He turned many from iniquity, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. And, and, and so God here, he has listed this list of what a good priest looks like. And God does this, guys, many times in Scripture, right? He makes it very plain how we ought to lead, how we ought to follow, how we ought to interact together as leaders and followers, because everyone has their place in that. And so I'm going to go through, don't freak out when I tell you this number, because we're going to go through them fast. I'm going to go through 25 leadership qualities to the church. 25 leadership qualities. There are more, but I have 25. I figured it would be absurd to go further. It'd be just totally absurd, and I would be talking, and no one would be here. Like, you guys would have left, like, go and eat. Like, I'm just talking to nobody except for Mark, because he likes PowerPoints. (laughs) 25 leadership qualities to the church that I have. There are more. But here are some. First one, leaders exist. Yeah, doesn't get much deeper than that. (laughs) Listen, there is this misconception today, especially today in this day and age. Two misconceptions. One, one, there are no leaders, right? We don't have to listen to anyone. Or two, we're all leaders, right? Both wrong. <laughs> Sorry. We're all le- like, why can't we all just be leaders? By definition, that can't work, right? In, in, in the Old Testament, there were prophets, there were leaders, there were kings, right? There were priests, there were established leaders. In the New Testament, there were apostles, elders, and pastors, okay? So, so these are the leaders that God establishes, okay? There are leaders. One quality. First, leaders exist. They are there. Right? They're there. Simple enough? Good. All right. Second one. Leaders are not the highest authority. Jesus is. We see this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, that Jesus is the chief shepherd, translated senior pastor. Jesus is the chief shepherd of the church. So no matter what church you go to, no matter who the senior pastor is, he's not the highest authority. Jesus is. Make sense? So even, even a senior pastor of a church, our senior pastor, Pastor Rob, he is submitted to Jesus. He, Jesus is the highest authority. Does that make sense? So, so what the words that leaders speak, it's not the highest authority. Does that make sense? That, that's why if... A leader says something, you always need to be checking it with what Jesus says. That's why you need to know your Bible as a congregant, right? Because I can get up here, and if you are gullible enough, I can, I can, I can have you do anything, right? If you don't know your Bible. Not that you listen to me, but whatever. Maybe someone else better than me and older than me. <laughs> Third, leaders are responsible for the church. We see this in James 3 and 1 Corinthians 1 27. Leaders have a responsibility to the church. Okay. Leaders are held responsible. We know this because they are accountable over the souls of the congregation. Right. 
And, and it says that it's super cool because in 1 Corinthians 1.27, I put it up there because it says, God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wisdom of the wise. But then there's James 3.1 where it says that if you're a leader, God holds you to a stricter judgment. So I would equate leaders that they are idiots and that they're the foolish ones, right? So many times, I'm a prime example. Leaders are the biggest idiots, but since they're held to a higher standard, they're careful idiots. Does that make sense? Yeah? Leaders are careful idiots. Pastor equals careful idiot. Yes? Understand that when you, you see this, right? When you see me, just Dane's over there, and I just tackle him into the chair, right? And I'm like, that's our pastor? <laughs> you know, it's like, idiot, but a careful one, Okay? Number four, leaders love and obey Jesus. We see this in John 21, chapter, uh, John chapter 21, verse 17, where Jesus says, Simon Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Right? And, and, and so there's this, there's this interaction, right, between, between Jesus and Peter. And, and, and Peter expresses this love, and he receives this love from Christ. And then, and then Jesus gives him an order, then feed my sheep. Right? And, and, and so leaders, they love Jesus and they obey Jesus. Five, leaders are called by Christ. Right? Listen, listen. A desire does not equal a calling. Okay? You may desire to be a leader, but that's different from being called to be a leader. And some people are called to be leaders, and you know you're called to be leaders, but you don't desire to be one. Right? That's a lot of the times how it works. But there's a definite calling from Christ. There's a definite calling that leaders have on their lives. This means that often, whether they like it or not, they have to do it. Right? Six. In First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, where, where uh, Paul says, Let no one look down on you because you were young, but set an example to the believers. Set an example to the believers. So here's the thing. Leaders are supposed to show you Jesus. Leaders are supposed to show you Jesus with their, the example of their lives, right? With the example of their lives, they are to show Jesus. Now, notice how all of these things, almost like, except for like the first one, like applies to all of us, right? This, these apply to all of us as Christians, loving and obeying Jesus, being called by Christ to do something, showing people Jesus, not just pre, anyone can preach Jesus who knows how to speak well. It's another thing entirely to show Jesus in the things that they do, right? And in their conduct, right? So you may have a super charismatic speaker who knows how to exegete scripture, but if their lives don't show Christ, they're not much good to him. Make sense? Make sense. Second, or, or in seventh, whatever, math, that's why I'm in ministry, okay. <laughs> Leaders are to point us to Jesus, so they're to show us Jesus, and they point to Jesus. That means, right, that the attention that they receive, they then give to Jesus, right? They are to glorify Jesus. They are to glorify Christ, not themselves. In a generation that worships pastors, this is super crucial. Guys, pastor worship is, in my opinion, one of the most, like, it is one of the sickest things that happens in our church today, is pastor worship, right? Where you don't go for the people, you don't go for the ministry, you go just because you like to hear someone talk, Right? Leaders point to Jesus, right, in everything that they do and everything that they say. So showing Jesus is setting that example. Pointing to Jesus is in their preaching or in their teaching as far as, like, if you're an administrative pastor, you're a leader over a ministry, you lead a Bible study at InterVarsity, right, whether at your work and, and, and you are a representation, that holy priesthood of Christ, you are to show Christ, but you are to point to Christ as well. Set an example, preach the word. Make sense? Pastors are servants, leaders are servants, elders are servants, Christians are servants. Jesus was the prime example of that, and all of us, we need to take that example of when Jesus got down and washed his disciples' feet, right? 
Jesus was always in the business of serving. Nine, this is a big one. Leaders are pure. Purity, when we think of purity, we often think sexually, right? Sexually pure, right? Because leaders, there's a psychological thing that happens where if there's somebody in power, then they really don't feel challenged by anyone. Therefore, they go and look for a challenge, right? And this can cause them to be impure in in their sexual lives. This can cause them to be impure in their financial lives. This can cause them to be impure in their relational lives. So listen, a leader, a Christian, must be pure in conduct. If you were to be used by God, you need to be pure. And here, I'm not saying you've got to be perfect, all right? And we're, we're going to go through some, some issues, and we're going to go through, through some things to expect from leaders that aren't necessarily good qualities, but you need to expect them from leaders. Listen, you don't have to be perfect. You need to be pure, though, all right? You don't need to be perfect. You need to be pure. Ten good stewards of their finances and the resources that God gives them. Here's the thing. Are you... Are you good with your resources? Because God's given everyone resources, all right? Some more than others, but God's given every single one of you resources. God's given every single one of you things in your lives that you are to steward well. And what I mean steward is he's given you items. Are you using them to the glory of God? He's given you relationships. Are you using them to the glory of God? He's given you money, some of you less, less, less than others, but are you using it to the glory of God? College students, when's the last time you tithed? Ooh, Malachi chapter three is coming for you. I'll save that for later. When's the last time you tithed stewards of the most high God? God's given you resources. Are you using them to his glory? I don't care if you make a hundred dollars a month, $10, 10%, right? All right, sensitive subject. All right, save it for Malachi chapter three. Accountable. Leaders are accountable. Listen, never follow a leader who isn't accountable to anyone. Period. If there's no one in his life challenging him or her, they're not going to be a good leader. Maybe they'll start out good. They'll end up corrupt eventually. They need to be in accountability with people, right? You all need to be in accountability with each other. That's why we exist as a church together in fellowship. That's why we have meals out there so you guys can talk and you can have discussions. That's why we pray together so we can tell each other, hey, I'm struggling with this. Will you help me? Right? We need leaders to be like, hey, what are you struggling with? And we need congregants to be like, hey, do you know what? I noticed this, this, and this. How are you doing with your faith with the Lord? I preached at Thousand Oaks High School the other day. Listen, I preached at Thousand Oaks High School the other day. I preached to a group of like 40, 50 kids. And, you know, I preached to them and, you know, a couple of people gave their lives to Jesus. It was super great. And having conversations with a bunch of people. Thanks, Pastor Zach. High fives. You know, let me wear your hat. Oh, you're so cool. They don't say that. But... <laughs> and, I, and I'm walking, I'm walking back to the office and this girl, she comes up to me. This, this 16-year-old girl. She comes up to me and she just says, Zach, how's, how's your relationship with the Lord doing? No adults ever asked me that. How's your relationship with the Lord doing? You guys have any idea? Like, I was so taken back by that. I have, I have friends in my lives that will ask me, that will ask me like, hi, hey, how's your relationship with the Lord doing? But so seldom do I hear that because here's the thing. There's this weird assumption that the church has that leaders are like doing well with the Lord all the time. No. <laughs> that girl, she asked me, she asked, how's your relationship with the Lord doing? She just heard me preach. People just gave their lives to Jesus. On all external, so like everything externally, I look okay. Right? But what, what I ended up telling her, I said, do you know what? I'm doing really well with the Lord. But actually, a couple weeks ago, I was in a really dark place. And I told her that. But I'm, I'm, and I said, I'm really glad that I'm on the upswing of that. And she's like, that was a really honest answer. Thank you. This, is, this girl's 16, right? I, I, was, I was blown away. Leaders ought to be accountable because do you know what? Not a lot of people want to hold them accountable. But do you know what, guys? Hold your leaders accountable. Ask them every once in a while. How's your relationship with God doing? Right? How's your relationship? You'll be surprised at how little leaders get that. Because everyone just assumes you're okay. Pastor Mark, 
right? Pastor Brett? Nobody ever asked that. We don't always have it together, guys. Right? 12. Leaders, take your life seriously. Right? You're not numbers. You're people. Right? Leaders take the lives of the sheep seriously. They are shepherds. And they have to take the lives of the sheep seriously. So, so here's the thing. When, when people become numbers and they become tithers, that's when leadership gets corrupt, right? People take, leaders ought to take your life seriously. Guys, you are, if you are in leadership over people, take their life seriously. Take their issues seriously. Now, you can't fix all their issues, right? But you can take them seriously. Yeah? Love the church and protect the church. Love the church and protect the church. I think that goes without saying, right? Love the church well and protect it from those who wish to do it harm. Put family before ministry. This is a big one, right? Leaders have a tendency to minister to the church before they minister to their family. Anyone can pastor a church, only you can pastor your family, right? Anyone can lead your Bible study, only you can lead your family. Amen? Only you can lead that certain ministry only, only, anyone can lead that certain ministry, but only you can lead your family, right? And biblically, since I don't have a family yet, I have to biblically put everything into the church, right? And everything into my ministry. But putting family before ministry is big. Oh, yeah, leaders have real lives, too. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Just when you want to meet for coffee at 7 o'clock in the morning, leaders have real lives, Okay. <laughs> Leaders have, imp- well, leaders have imperfections. Leaders have imperfections. You need to expect this from leaders. And do you know what? The imperfections will then turn into testimonies, which then turns into better ministry, right? And so guys, for those of you who have imperfections and you think you're disqualified for leadership and you think you can't be a ministry leader, you think you can't be a teacher, you think you can't preach the word just because you're an imperfect person. No, that's, that's crazy. God calls you as an imperfect person to display his perfect character, That is the beauty of the gospel, that he would use messed up people like us to do his work and his ministry. It is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing that he would use the foolish things of this world to confound the wisdom of the wise. He would use the foolish. Guys, don't let anything disqualify you. Now, they have imperfections, but not towards the point of being impure, right? And disqualifying them then. Make sense? Right? Expect leaders to be imperfect. Expect them to make mistakes every once in a while. But if they're being held accountable, they'll fix those mistakes and those imperfections accordingly, right? Leaders will have shortcomings, right? They can't always be there for you. That's why Jesus needs to be our main leader, right? That's why Jesus needs to be our senior pastor. That's why Jesus needs to be in our lives, the first leader in our lives. Because, see, leaders, the leaders in your lives, the mentors in your lives, they will have shortcomings. They will not always be able to be there for you. They will not always have their shoulder for you to cry on. They won't always be available. Your friends, your accountability partners, they're going to have shortcomings, so that's why we need to cling to Jesus more so. And, and here's the thing. If you go through a trial, Jesus first, people second. Take a moment when you experience a trial to sit down and pray with the Lord before you start texting everyone. Make sense? Everyone has shortcomings. We can't hold them to an impossible standard. Leaders will fail In Psalm 103, verse 14, David says this, you know where we came from. You know that we are from dust, right? God recognizes that man sometimes fails more than anyone, right? When your leaders fail, come alongside them and encourage them. Because when you fail, you're gonna expect them to come alongside you and encourage you, right? Right? You better believe your leaders are getting their butts kicked anytime they fail, right? They don't need people to point fingers at them, and I'm guilty of this, right? I need to understand that my leaders fail sometimes, and I can't hold them to a standard I'm not willing to meet myself, right? Leaders are to have humility, always be pointing to Jesus. Leaders are to be hardworking, not towards the point of being workaholics, but they are supposed to take the ministry seriously, Leaders are supposed to multiply themselves. It is my goal as a leader to make sure that I don't have to do my job anymore, right? 
it is my goal as a, as a youth director to make sure my youth group can run themselves, right? They could be autonomous without me, right? We are to multiply ourselves. This is the Great Commission, right? Making disciples of all nations. Almost done. Leaders are supposed to be spiritually and emotionally available to you. Spiritually meaning they will always pray for you. Emotionally meaning that they will not throw up their baggage on you. Right? They're supposed to be spiritually and emotionally. But notice how I didn't say physically available. Right? Leaders cannot always be physically available for you. But you should expect them to always be spiritually and emotionally available for you. Does that make sense? Right? We see this in Luke chapter 6. They, they need to be spiritually and emotionally available as Jesus was, but Jesus was not always physically available for people, right? He didn't heal everybody, right? But he prayed for everyone and he interceded for everyone, right? Right? Everyone can go to him with their problems. He didn't always heal them though, right? And when the disciples were looking for him, they saw him praying to the Lord in his own personal time. Jesus had a life outside of all of the things he did, this relationship with God. In Ephesians 4, we see that leaders are to equip you. They aren't to do the ministry for you. They are to equip you for the ministry, right? So you want, so many people want to start up a ministry. They come to me, ask me to start it up, right? Or ask Pastor Mark to start it up or Pastor Brett to start it up. We will equip you. You do the ministry, right? It is our job to equip you to do the ministry. It's your job as a leader, if you're a leader in here, to equip people so that they could do it themselves, A poor leader will do all the work for the people he leads. A good leader will teach them how to lead themselves, right? A leader is to equip, not to do the ministry for people. And then lastly, but not least, they will teach you the Bible, period, right? A leader will not use their own tactics or their own personality to lead you. They will use the word with the variables in their personality to lead you accordingly. Does that make sense? So we'll close with this, guys. As we see in Malachi, we're going to go back to Malachi. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and he has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of a man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. It's going to get gnarly really quick. Okay, And this second thing to you, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? So these people are weeping before the altar of God and they're like, God, why aren't you accepting my offering? Why aren't you listening to me? And God says this, because the Lord has witnessed between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garments with violence says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So even back then, guys, even back then, we had people in leadership ditching their wives for younger ones. So they, 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 they had the wife of their youth, and then when their wife started to get older, they would divorce their wives and go find a younger wife. And then they'd repeat the pattern over and over again. They were disloyal, and then they're they're coming to the altar on their knees, weeping before the Lord, saying, why won't you listen to me? It says in 1 Peter, it says in 1 Peter, Peter declares, you be good to your wife, lest your prayers be hindered. I mean, if you're faithless to to those you are in covenant with, I won't hear your prayers. And, 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 And so some of us look like this, so some of us girls will be like, well... 
I'm not a husband cheating on his wife. And for those of you who aren't married, you'll be like, well, I don't have a wife to cheat on. For those of you who are married, are like, I don't cheat on my wife, right? Doesn't apply to me. But their first sin was being faithless towards God. Their second sin was being faithless towards one another. That's the goal of the church. In Matthew 22, Jesus says the, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And what was the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. We are here to draw closer to God and draw closer to each other. These leaders were cheating on their wives. Their wives were those that they were in covenant with. They'd made promises to. A family. Promise. But here's the thing, guys. Biblically, us as a church, we are in covenant with one another. Under the blood of Jesus, guys, we are in covenant with each other. We are in covenant with each other. We are family bound under the name of God. We are a family. We are a family. And so, and so often there are those who will be a part of the family for a while and then just, ah, I'm not feeling it. It's kind of an older wife. I'm going to go find a new church, right? I'm just going to go find a new church. And so as the priests would leave their wives and go find younger, newer, more exciting thing, sometimes the minute we get bored with our church, we leave. We're in covenant with one another. We're, we're a family. We're a family. And... And if our goal as Christians, guys, if our goal as Christians is to draw closer to God and draw closer to one another, are we falling under the same sin as these priests? Are we being faithless towards one another? And this is something that I, last night when preparing this message, this week when preparing this message, and currently am super convicted about. Because though I am here physically, my heart isn't always here. Does that make sense? And I'm being transparent with you. I'm I'm just being transparent. I think all of us, at some way, shape, or form, that we could be somewhere physically. We could be with people physically. We're not always there. And we don't always love them as we should, right? We must give one another love and faithfulness. Are are, Are there petty arguments around you? Is there gossip among you? God continually says, so guard yourselves in your spirit. So guard yourselves in your spirit. He says this continually. Guard yourselves in your spirit. Guard yourselves in your spirit. Guard yourselves. He's always saying these things because faithlessness towards one another stems in a uh, faithlessness towards God, right? So if I'm faithless towards those that are around me, it's usually because I've been faithless in my relationship between me and the Lord, right? The way I, ha- I interact with God in a personal level will then affect the way I interact with people, right, on a personal level. And so God is continually saying, guard yourselves in your spirit, right? Guard your hearts. Check your hearts. Where are you with the Lord? Because for those of you who may be experiencing marital arguments at the moment, for those of you who are experiencing gossip and petty arguments, For those of you that you are experiencing this stuff in the church, myself included, I need to check, where am I with Jesus right now? Where am I? Am I receiving the due amount of love that he has to pour out upon me so that I could be a conduit of that love, right? Am I overflowing with his spirit? Or am I filling myself up just enough to make myself feel good, but not enough to surround the people around me, right? For some of us, we may be experiencing a stagnant part in our faith because we're filling ourselves up just enough, right? Just enough to survive in our faith, not enough to thrive, right? We must remain in life with God, as he said before. We must remain at peace with one another in fear of how great God is and at 
awe of who he is. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and we're, we're going to close and we're going to sing. And what's great about worship, guys, here's the thing. As it declares in Colossians and it declares it in Ephesians that there's two purposes behind corporate worship. This series, Beloved and Corrupt, it's mostly about worship. Listen, biblically, in the New Testament, worship, corporate worship, as we sing together, it has two purposes. First purpose, give God the honor he deserves, amen? Give God the honor and the glory he deserves to grow in relationship between he and I. Oh, it's so good to just soak in the music and, have our, uh, and, and worship him emotionally in that way. But the second one is to admonish one another, to encourage one another. As we sing together, we sing next to each other. We build each other up. Where we say, oh God, you never leave my side. But in saying that, knowing that God never leaves my side, I'll declare to the person next to me, and I'll never leave yours. As we say, I'll raise to life with Christ, our Savior, right? Declaring that Christ is our Savior together, and we walk this thing together. And as we sing together, so we mimic that outside the walls of these, these churches, right? If we can sing together, we can go outside, and we can do ministry together, we can endeavor with one another. And I'll close with Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. It says, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort in love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You become a leader in the moment that you put other people and more importance than you. You become a priest, a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ the moment you decide that other people are more important than you. The moment you decide where the souls of those that aren't saved yet are more important than the soul that you want to preserve and make feel comfortable, that's the moment you become a priest, a holy priesthood, a nation that's set apart for the glory of God and bringing people into his presence. As we worship, and the Old Testament word for worship is shakah. Say that, shakah. And shakah means to get low, to prostrate yourself. It means to bow yourself. And here's what's awesome about bowing. Everyone's above you. Right? There's sometimes where I need to bow during worship because I'm feeling prideful. And I need to put, every, I need to put God... <laughs> I need to put God above me. And so as we worship, as we sing, we're putting God above us. And we're esteeming others highly than ourselves. Christians aren't people that look out for their own interests. Christians aren't people that get degrees to get jobs that they don't even want, to get money that they don't need, to impress people that they don't know. Christians are not people who make life decisions based on whether it'll make them happy or it'll make them more successful. Christians are not people that come to church to be complimented or to be praised. Christians are those that pursue God with their whole beings and love him with their whole hearts so that other people around them may experience the same joy that they do. So let's humble ourselves tonight before God as leaders and as priests and let's worship him tonight and let's leave these walls. Let's leave this church putting others above us and especially God above us, amen? We have communion here if you want to take it, if you want to humble yourself in the form of remembering God and the body that was broken for you and the blood that was shed for you that the God of the universe, creator Jesus, would humble himself and serve you by dying for you. And as we take the bread and the juice together. Remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. We remember Christ's humility and we worship in humility and we treat each other with humility. Amen.
Lord, we love you. We give you this night. We give you this time. Pray that you would be above us. We'd put everything above us. Lord, I think about the word humility, which comes from the Greek word hummus, which means of the ground. Lord, I pray that we would not think lowly of ourselves. Rather, we would think of everyone higher than us. We would not, we would not insult ourselves. Rather, we would esteem others. Pray that we'd see you for the glory that you, you have and the life that you have to offer us, Lord. Pray for those that want to receive you tonight, that they would take this communion, they would remember you, they'd submit their lives to you. Lord, we love you, we worship you, we give you all honor that is due to you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's worship.